section twenty chapters fifty five to fifty eight of the three sisters by may sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter fifty five two years passed life stirred again in the vicarage feebly and slowly with the slow and feeble stirring of the vicar's brain ten o'clock was prayer time again twice every sunday the vicar appeared in his seat in the chancel twice he pronounced the absolution twice he tottered to the altar rails turned shifted his stick from his left hand to his right and with his one good arm raised he gave the benediction these were the supreme moments of his life once a month kneeling at the same altar rails he received the bread and wine from the hands of his ritualistic curate mr grierson it was his uttermost abasement but whether he was abased or exalted the parish was proud of its vicar he had shown grit his parishioners respected the indestructible instinct that had made him hold on for mr carter it was better incredibly better he could creep about the house in the village without any help but his stick he could wash and feed and dress himself he had no longer any use for his wheelchair once a week on a wednesday he was driven over his parish in an ancient pony carriage of peacock's it was low enough for him to haul himself in and out and he had recovered large tracts of memory all apparently but the one spot submerged in the catastrophe that had brought about his stroke he was aware of events and of their couplings and of their sequences in time though the origin of some things was not clear to him thus he knew that alice was married and living at upthorne though he had forgotten why that she should have married greatorex was a strange thing and he couldn't think how it had happened he supposed it must have happened when he was laid aside for he would never have permitted it if he had known mary's marriage also puzzled him for he had a most distinct idea that it was gwenda who was to have married rowcliffe and he said so but he would own humbly that he might be mistaken his memory not being what it was he had settled more or less into his state of gentleness and submission broken from time to time by fits of violent irritation and relieved by pride pride in his feats of independence his comings and goings his washing his dressing and undressing of himself sometimes his pride was stubborn and insistent sometimes it was sweet and joyous as a child's his mouth relaxed forever by his stroke had acquired a smile of piteous and appealing innocence it smiled upon the just and upon the unjust it smiled even on greatorex whom socially he disapproved of he took care to let it be known that he disapproved of greatorex socially though he tolerated him he tolerated all persons except one and that one was the ritualistic curate mr grierson he had every reason for not tolerating him not only was mr grierson a ritualist which was only less abominable than being a nonconformist but he had been foisted on him without his knowledge or will the vicar had suddenly waked up one day out of his confused twilight to a state of fearful lucidity and found the young man there worse than all it was through the third mrs carteret that he had got there for the vicar of greffington had applied to the additional curate's aid society for a grant on behalf of his afflicted brother the vicar of garthdale and he had applied in vain there was a prejudice against the vicar of garthdale but the vicar of greffington did not relax his efforts he applied to young mrs rowcliffe and young mrs rowcliffe applied to her stepmother and not in vain robina answering by return of post offered to pay half the curate's salary 
rowcliffe made himself responsible for the other half robina in her compact little house in st john's wood had become the prey of remorse her conscience had begun to bother her by suggesting that she ought to go back to her husband now that he was helpless and utterly inoffensive she ought not to leave him on poor gwenda's hands she ought at any rate to take her turn but robina couldn't face it she couldn't leave her compact little house and go back to her husband she couldn't even take her turn flesh and blood shrank from the awful sacrifice it would be a living death your conscience has no business to send you to a living death robina's heart ached for poor gwenda she wrote and said so she said she knew she was a brute for not going back to gwenda's father she would do it if she could but she simply couldn't she hadn't got the nerve and robina did more she pulled wires and found the curate that he was a ritualist was no drawback in robina's eyes in fact she declared it was a positive advantage mr grierson's practices would wake them up in garthdale they needed waking she had added that mr grierson was well connected well behaved and extremely good-looking even charity couldn't subdue the merry devil in robina i can't see said mary reading robina's letter what mr grierson's good looks have got to do with it rowcliffe's face darkened he thought he could see but mr grierson did not wake garthdale up it opened one astonished eye on his practices and turned over in its sleep again mr grierson was young and the village regarded all he did as the folly of his youth it saw no harm in mr grierson not even when he conceived a platonic passion for mrs stephen rowcliffe and spent all his spare time in her drawing-room and on his way to and from it the curate lodged in the village at the blenkirons over rowcliffe's surgery and from that vantage-ground he lay in wait for rowcliffe he watched his movements he was ready at any moment to fling open his door and spring upon rowcliffe with ardour and enthusiasm it was as if he wanted to prove to him how heartily he forgave him for being mrs rowcliffe's husband there was a robust innocence about him that ignored the doctor's irony mary had her own use for mr grierson his handsome figure assiduous but restrained the perfect image of integrity and adoration was the very thing she wanted for her drawing-room she knew that its presence there had the effect of heightening her own sensual attraction it served as a reminder to rowcliffe that his wife was a woman of charm a fact which for some time he appeared to have forgotten she could play off her adorer against her husband while the candid purity of young grierson's homage renewed her exquisite sense of her own goodness and then the curate really was a cousin of lord northfleet's and mrs rowcliffe had calculated that to have him in her pocket would increase prodigiously her social value and it did and mrs rowcliffe's social value when observed by grierson increased his adoration and when rowcliffe told her that young grierson's platonic friendship wasn't good for him she made wide eyes at him and said poor boy he must have some amusement she didn't suppose the curate could be much amused by calling at the vicarage young grierson had confided to her that he couldn't make her sister out i never knew anybody who could she said and gave him a subtle look that disturbed him horribly i only meant he stammered and stopped for he wasn't quite sure what he did mean his fair fresh face was strained with the effort to express himself he meditated you know she's really rather fascinating you can't help looking at her only she doesn't seem to see that you're there i suppose that's what puts you off 
i know it does dreadfully said mary she summoned a flash and let him have it but she's magnificent magnificent he echoed with his robust enthusiasm but what he thought was that it was magnificent of mrs rowcliffe to praise her sister and rowcliffe smiled grimly at young grierson and his platonic passion he said to himself if i'd only known if i'd only had the sense to wait six months grierson would have done just as well for molly still he welcomed him and his platonic passion it wasn't good for grierson but it was good for molly at least he supposed it was better for her than nothing and for him it was infinitely better it kept grierson off gwenda young grierson was right when he said that gwenda didn't see that he was there he had been two years in garthdale and she was as far from seeing it as ever he didn't mind he was even amused by her indifference only he couldn't help thinking that it was rather odd of her considering that he was there the village as simple in its thinking as young grierson shared his view it thought that it was something more than odd and it had a suspicion that mrs rowcliffe was at the bottom of it she wouldn't be happy if she didn't get that young man away from her sister the village hinted that it wouldn't be for the first time but in two years with the gradual lifting of the pressure that had numbed her gwenda had become aware not of young grierson but of her own tragedy of the slow life that dragged her of its relentless motion and its mass now that her father's need of her was intermittent she was alive to the tightness of the tie it had been less intolerable when it had bound her tighter when she hadn't had a moment when it had dragged her all the time its slackening was torture she pulled then and was jerked on her chain it was not only that rowcliffe's outburst had waked her and made her cruelly aware he had timed it badly in her moment of revived lucidity the moment when she had become vulnerable again she was the more sensitive because of her previous apathy as if she had died and was newborn to suffering and virgin to pain what hurt her most was her father's gentleness she could stand his fits of irritation and obstinacy they braced her they called forth her will but she was defenceless against his pathos and he knew it he had phrases that wrung her heart you're a good girl gwenda i'm only an irritable old man my dear you mustn't mind what i say she suffered from the incessant drain on her pity for she wanted all her will if she was to stand against rowcliffe pity was a dangerous solvent in which her will sank and was melted away there were moments when she saw herself as two women one had still the passion and the memory of freedom the other was a cowed and captive creature who had forgotten whose cramped motions guided her whose instinct of submission she abhorred her isolation was now extreme she had had nothing to give to any friend she might have made rowcliffe had taken all that was left of her and now when intercourse was possible it was they who had withdrawn they shared mr grierson's inability to make her out they had heard rumours they imagined things they remembered also she was the girl who had raced all over the country with dr rowcliffe the girl whom dr rowcliffe for all their racing had not cared to marry she was the girl who had run away from home to live with a dubious stepmother and she was the sister of that awful mrs greatorex who well everybody knew what mrs greatorex was gwenda carteret like her younger sister had been talked about not so much in the big houses of the dale the queer facts had been tossed up and down a smoke-room for one season and then dropped in the big houses they didn't remember gwenda carteret they only remembered to forget her 
but in the little shops and in the little houses in morfe there had been continual whispering they said that even after dr rowcliffe's marriage to that nice wife of his who was her own sister the two had been carrying on if there wasn't any actual harm done and maybe there wasn't the doctor had been running into danger he was up at garthdale more than he need be now that the old vicar was about again and they had been seen together the head gamekeeper at garthdale had caught them more than once out on the moor and after dark too it was said in the little houses that it wasn't the doctor's fault in the big houses judgment had been more impartial but morfe was loyal to its doctor it was hers every bit you might depend on it of rowcliffe it was said that maybe he'd been tempted but he was a good man was dr rowcliffe and he'd stopped in time because they didn't know what gwenda carteret was capable of they believed like the vicar that she was capable of anything it was only in her own village that they knew the head gamekeeper had never told his tale in garth it would have made him too unpopular gwenda carteret remained unaware of what was said rumour protected her by cutting her off from its own sources and she had other consolations besides her ignorance so long as she knew that rowcliffe cared for her and always had cared it did not seem to matter to her so much that he had married mary she actually considered that of the two mary was the one to be pitied it was so infinitely worse to be married to a man who didn't care for you than not to be married to a man who did of course there was the tie her sister had outward and visible possession of him but she said to herself i wouldn't give what i have for that if i can't have both and of course there was stephen and stephen's misery which was more unbearable to her than her own at least she thought it was more unbearable she didn't ask herself how bearable it would have been if stephen's marriage had brought him a satisfaction that denied her and cast her out for she was persuaded that stephen also had his consolation he knew that she cared for him she conceived this knowledge of theirs as constituting an immaterial and immutable possession of each other and it did not strike her that this knowledge might be less richly compensating to stephen than to her her woman's passion forced inward sustained her with an inward peace and inward exaltation and in this peace this exaltation it became one with her passion for the place she was unaware of what was happening in her she did not know that her soul had joined the two beyond its own power to put asunder she still looked on her joy in the earth as a solitary emotion untouched by any other she still said to herself nothing can take this away from me for she had hours now and again when she shook off the slave-woman who held her down in those hours her inner life moved with the large rhythm of the seasons and was soaked in the dyes of the visible world and the visible world passing into her inner life took on its radiance and intensity everything that happened and that was great and significant in its happening happened there outside nothing happened nothing stood out nothing moved no procession of events trod down or blurred her perfect impressions of the earth and sky they eternalized themselves in memory they became her memory the days were carved for her in the lines of the hills and painted for her in their colors days that were dim green and grey when the dreaming land was withdrawn under a veil so fine that it had the transparency of water or when the stone walls the humble houses and the high ramparts drenched with mist and with secret sunlight became insubstantial days when all the hills were hewn out of one opal days that had the form of carva under snow 
and the thin blues and violets of the snow she remembered purely without thinking it was in april that i went away from stephen or it was in november that he married mary or it was in february that we knew about ally and father had his stroke her nature was sound and sane it refused to brood over suffering she was not like alice and in her unlikeness she lacked some of alice's resources she couldn't fling herself on to a polonaise of a sonata any more than she could lie on a couch all day and look at her own white hands and dream her passion found no outlet in creating violent and voluptuous sounds it was passive rather and attentive cut off from all contacts of the flesh it turned to the distant and the undreamed its very senses became infinitely subtle they discerned the hidden soul of the land that had entranced her there were no words for this experience she had no sense of self in it and needed none it seemed to her that she was what she contemplated as if all her senses were fused together in the sense of seeing and what her eyes saw they heard and touched and felt but when she came to and saw herself seeing she said at least this is mine nobody not even stephen can take it away from me she also reminded herself that she had alice she meant alice greatorex alice carteret oppressed by her own awfulness had loved her with a sullen selfish love the love of a frustrated and unhappy child but there was no awfulness in alice greatorex in the fine sanity of happiness she showed herself as good as gold marriage that had made mary hard made alice tender mary was wrapped up in her husband and her house and in her social relations and young grierson's platonic passion so tightly wrapped that these things formed round her an impenetrable shell they hid a secret and inaccessible mary alice was wrapped up in her husband and children in the boy of three who was so like gwenda and in the baby girl who was so like greatorex but through them she had become approachable she had the ways of some happy household animal its quick rushes of affection and its gaze the long spiritual gaze of its maternity mysterious and appealing she loved gwenda with a sad-eyed remorseful love she said to herself if i hadn't been so awful gwenda might have married stephen she saw the appalling extent of gwenda's sacrifice she saw it as it was monstrous absurd altogether futile it was the futility of it that troubled alice most even if gwenda had been capable of sacrificing herself for mary which had been by no means her intention that would have been futile too alice was of rowcliffe's opinion that young grierson would have done every bit as well for mary better for mary had no children and how said alice could she expect to have them she saw in mary's childlessness not only god's but nature's justice there were moments when mary saw it too but she left god out of it and called it nature's cruelty if it was not really gwenda for in flashes of extreme lucidity mary put it down to rowcliffe's coldness and she had come to know that gwenda was responsible for that chapter fifty six but one day in april in the fourth year of her marriage mary sent for gwenda rowcliffe was out on his rounds she had thought of that she was fond of having gwenda with her in rowcliffe's absence when she could talk to her about him in a way that assumed his complete indifference to gwenda and utter devotion to herself gwenda was used to this habit of mary's and thought nothing of it she found her in rowcliffe's study the room that she knew better than any other in his house the window was closed 
the panes cut up the colors of the orchard and framed them in small squares mary received her with a gentle voice and a show of tenderness she said very little they had tea together and when gwenda would have gone mary kept her she still said very little she seemed to brood over some happy secret presently she spoke she told her secret and when she had told it she turned her eyes to gwenda with a look of subtle penetration and of triumph at last she said after three years and she added i knew you would be glad i am glad said gwenda she was glad she was determined to be glad she looked glad and she kissed mary and said again that she was very glad but as she walked back the four miles up garthdale under carva she felt an aching at her heart which was odd considering how glad she was she said to herself i will be glad i want mary to be happy why shouldn't i be glad it's not as if it could make any difference chapter fifty seven in september mary sent for her again mary was very ill she lay on her bed and rowcliffe and her sister stood on either side of her she gazed from one to the other with eyes of terror and entreaty it was as if she cried out to them the two who were so strong to help her she stretched out her arms on the counterpane one arm toward each of them her little hands palm upward implored them each of them laid a hand in mary's hand that closed on it with a clutch of agony rowcliffe had sat up all night with her his face was white and haggard and there was fear and misery in his eyes they never looked at gwenda's lest they should see the same fear and the same misery there it was as if they had no love for each other only a profound and secret pity that sprang in both of them from their fear only once they found each other outside on the landing when they had left mary alone with hislop the old doctor from rayburn and the nurse each spoke once stephen is there really any danger yes i wish to god i'd had harker do you mind sending him a wire i must go and see what that fool hislop's doing he turned back again into the room gwenda went out and sent the wire but at noon before harker could come to them it was over mary lay as alice had lain weak and happy with her child tucked in the crook of her arm and she smiled at it dreamily the old doctor and the nurse smiled at rowcliffe it couldn't they said have gone off more easily there hadn't been any danger nor any earthly reason to have sent for harker though of course if it had made rowcliffe happier the old doctor added that if it had been anybody else's wife rowcliffe would have known that it was going all right and in the evening when her sister stood again at her bedside as mary lifted the edge of the flannel that hid her baby's face she looked at gwenda and smiled not dreamily but subtly in a triumph that was almost malign that night gwenda dreamed that she saw mary lying dead and with a dead child in the crook of her arm she woke in anguish and terror chapter fifty eight three years passed and six months the carterets had been in garthdale nine years gwenda carteret sat in the dining-room at the vicarage alone with her father it was nearly ten o'clock of the march evening they waited for the striking of the clock it would be prayer time then and after prayers the vicar would drag himself upstairs to bed and in the peace that slid into the room when he left it gwenda would go on with her reading she had her sewing in her lap and her book bergson's evolution creatrice propped open before her on the table she sewed as she read for the vicar considered that sewing was an occupation and that reading was not 
he was silent as long as his daughter sewed and when she read he talked toward ten his silence would be broken by a continual sighing and yearning the vicar longed for prayer time to come and end his day but he had decreed that prayer time was ten o'clock and he would not have permitted it to come a minute sooner he nursed a book on his knees but he made no pretence of reading it he had taken off his glasses and sat with his hands folded in an attitude of utter resignation to his own will in the kitchen essie gale sat by the dying fire and waited for the stroke of ten and as she waited she stitched at the torn breeches of her little son essie had come back to the house where she had been turned away for her mother was wanted by mrs greatorex at upthorne and what mrs greatorex wanted she got there were two more children now at the farm and work enough for three women in the house and essie with all her pride had not been too proud to come back she had no feeling but pity for the old man her master who had bullied her and put her to shame if it pleased god to afflict him that was god's affair and even as a devout wesleyan essie considered that god had about done enough as essie sat and stitched she smiled thinking of greatorex's son who lay in her bed in the little room over the kitchen miss gwenda let her have him with her on the nights when mrs gale slept up at the farm it was quiet in the vicarage kitchen the door into the back yard was shut the door that essie used to keep open when she listened for a footstep and a whisper that door had betrayed her many a time when the wind slammed it too essie's heart was quiet as the heart of her sleeping child she had forgotten how madly it had leaped to her lover's footsteps how it had staggered at the slamming of the door she had forgotten the tears that she had shed when alice's wild music had rocked the house and what the vicar had said to her that night when she spilled the glass of water in the study but she remembered that gwenda had given her son his first little sunday suit and that before jimmy came when essie was in bed crying with a face ache she had knocked at her door and said what is it essie can i do anything for you she could hear her saying it now essie's memory was like that she had thought of gwenda just then because she heard the sound of dr rowcliffe's motor-car tearing up the dale the woman in the other room heard it too she had heard its horn hooting on the moor road nearly a mile away she raised her hand and listened it hooted again once twice placably at the turning of the road under carva she shivered at the sound it hooted irritably furiously as the car tore through the village its lamp swung a shaft of light over the low garden wall at the garden gate the car made a shuddering pause gwenda's face and all her body listened a little unborn undying hope quivered in her heart always at that pausing of the car at her gate it hardly gave her time for one heartbeat before she heard the grinding of the gear as the car took the steep hill to upthorne but she was always taken in by it she had always that insane hope that the course of things had changed and that stephen had really stopped at the gate and was coming to her it was insanity for she knew that rowcliffe would never come to see her in the evening now after his outburst more than five years ago there was no use pretending to each other that they were safe he had told her plainly that if she wanted him to hold out he must never be long alone with her at any time and he must give up coming to see her late at night it was much too risky when i can come and see you that way he had said it'll mean that i've left off caring but i'll look in every wednesday if i can every wednesday as long as i live he had come now and then not on a wednesday but that way he had not been able to help it but he had left longer and longer intervals between 
and he had never come that way since last year when his second child was born nothing but life or death would bring rowcliffe out in his car after nightfall yet the thing had her every time and it was as if her heart was ground with the grinding and torn with the tearing of the car then she said to herself i must end it somehow it's horrible to go on caring like this he was right it would be better not to see him at all and she began counting the days and the hours till wednesday when she would see him end of section twenty recording by expatriate in bangor maine